This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, February 19th, 2024. I'm Caleb Brown. When the president talks about so-called junk fees, just what is it that he's referring to? Does he mean surprise charges that appear on bills? Or does he mean something more mundane, like charging for benefits that some people are willing to pay for and others don't care? Cato's Ryan Bourne boils down the White House's odd rhetoric surrounding junk fees. Ryan, you may have had this experience. I've had this experience a couple of times where you go into a restaurant, you have a perfectly fine meal, and then at the end of the meal, you are presented with, this is all post-pandemic, you're presented with a check that has a surprise 20%, 15%, 25% surcharge on the bill that is referred to as like a service fee. And occasionally it will say, helpfully, in parentheses, this is not a tip. And so people have had this experience. This is a convenience that restaurants add on to bills in our inflationary times to perhaps not deal more directly with things like menu costs and adjusting their menu pricing accordingly, but it feels opaque. It feels as if you were given a false impression of the prices that you were about to pay for a product. And I think it's a really decent example of what the president might consider a junk fee, which is it's opaque. It's not clear what it does. It's not clear what what it's paying for. And it is a surprise on a bill. He's not talking about that. No, he's not talking about that specific example. Now, there's a kind of strong version of the junk fees that the Biden administration is referring to. And then there's kind of like the softer way that they use that catch as a catch-all term for things that we just like or find annoying. So the official definition that the White House uses to define junk fees is those charges designed either to confuse or deceive consumers or to take advantage of lock-in or other forms of situational market power. So, you know, a very precise definition uh, where things are deliberately deceptive or just designed to be opaque, right? But then when you look at the broader range of fees that the Biden administration actually refers to, it often includes things like early termination fees for communication services, hotel resort fees, uh, bank overdraft charges, and airlines charging for seating. Things that quite often are advertised, but uh, we as consumers perhaps dislike or, you know, find them difficult to deal with. So I agree with you. That's a great example of something that, you know, in some ways is to a degree deceptive. You know, businesses might be doing it because They're trying to account for increased costs as a result of the inflationary environment. It might be a cost that they expect to fall in future, so it's not worth changing the menus. So there might be economic reasons for it. Uh, But the Biden administration more broadly is using this kind of Mott and Bailey argument to suggest, yes, we're, we're really going after deception, but actually there's lots of other fees that you find annoying and we want to help you by clamping down on those. I'm trying to imagine a a situation where the Biden administration might suggest that a junk fee is just something that is annoying. Like our restaurant charges for ketchup packets. Oh, well, for this chain should not be charging for ketchup packets. Everybody knows that those things are included. And so for an average person who wants to go to a restaurant and uh, orders a big plate of fries, or as you might call them, chips, Ryan, <laughs> will we'll order this. And then they're, they're shocked to learn that they have to pay extra for a ketchup packet. Uh, the Biden administration might say, look, no, 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 you got you to put that on the menu price for the item 
that the ketchup goes with. And some people don't like ketchup. And this is where these the 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 lie of all of the all the things I don't like are a junk fee uh, presents itself. Yeah, that's right. And I'd I'd broadly define kind of three different types of fee that the Biden administration seems to dislike, but which actually kind of play an important economic role quite often. So one is just like unbundling, as you just referred to. So instead of including everything to do with a service into one price, say like on airlines, for example, putting everything in the main ticket price and providing all the services people might lead, you kind of unbundle things out. So if you want a sandwich on a flight, then you pay extra for it. If you want to sit in a, in a have strong seat preferences to sit in an aisle row or window seat or near the front of the plane, you pay extra for it. And the advantage of that really is that by unbundling, it gives more profit opportunities for the airline. They're able to run more flights at lower basic ticket costs, which broadens access to to air travel for for more people. Uh, A second form of the, uh, I think, is partition pricing, we might call it. And that's where you just kind of separate out on the bill, even though they're non-negotiable, you separate out the charges so that the consumer is aware of what something costs or what some money that they're paying is going towards. So hotel resort fees is an example of this. You know, you have the basic room rate, but then you have the resort fee, which is supposed to be a fee that pays for the amenity benefits, the extra amenity benefits that you might not ordinarily get from hotels. A third and final one is kind of termination fees. And what they're really designed to do from an economic perspective is to deter people from exiting a contract early because uh, if you have the ability to just exit a contract at any time and the business isn't making long-term investment decisions, say, expecting a stream of revenue, that can obviously be very harmful and lead to very volatile profitability. So they try and kind of protect against that, recoup some of that by having a termination fee or an overdraft charge or, or, you know, something else to protect against bad outcomes. So a lot of these things have economic rationales but yes, sometimes as consumers, they can be annoying and that, that rationale might not be obviously clear to us. For a lot of consumers who are not well-versed in the trade-offs that they make every day when they're out shopping, uh, I prefer window seats on airplanes, strongly prefer window seats. Am I willing to pay a little extra to get a window seat? Well, sometimes maybe yes. Uh, If I'm traveling with my wife, we don't really care if we sit together or not. Uh, But some people do strongly prefer to sit next to uh, their beloved on on flights. It's not that important to us. Other people are willing to pay for that. And so a lot of what the Biden administration is pushing for here in many ways seems to reduce the amenities that you can purchase and raise overall prices to have amenities included that you might not want. So I don't like sitting next to window seats anymore. I see that uh, plane doors are falling off because I'm worried it gets <laughs> getting sucked out. So I'd pay a premium to sit in an aisle seat. Uh, you know, the, the area of airline charges that they're really focusing on actually is families having to pay to sit together. Now, there's no actual airline that charges extra for families having to sit next to their uh, children in particular. But of course, if you buy a basic economy seat, quite often you don't have the option to select where you sit straight away. So you either have to buy a more expensive ticket to guarantee you can sit next to your child or um, pay extra for that uh, functionality or just wait until the day that you check in and then just hope that there's seats available. Now, clearly in an ideal world, everybody would sit next to their kids 
And indeed, I think most airlines, if you um, even on the day of checking, go and discuss it with somebody at checking, they will make sure that that happens 99 times out of 100, right? So the Biden administration is really saying it should be a right of every individual family with children under 13 to be able to sit together and they shouldn't have to pay for it. So in essence, what that type of regulation is really doing is imposing a mandate, if it was to go through, is to impose a mandate on airlines to basically say, as a social service, you should cross-subsidize or other uh, customers should cross-subsidize this amenity to be available to families uh, with children. And uh, everybody should pay slightly extra in an elevated ticket fee uh, to make up for that lost revenue. Now, that might not seem like the end of the world in the grand scheme of regulations that we have. It's not a massive thing. But by you know reducing the degrees of freedom for airlines to charge for these types of amenities separately, you reduce the profitability potential of the airline. And it's really uh, the profitability potential of these types of fees that has enabled a greater flourishing of low-cost, low-basic-ticket-price airlines that has broadened air travel to vastly more people than could afford it 30, 40 years ago. Yeah, and and the uh, the market segments that airlines could be going for, you're essentially, in, in some cases, you're telling uh, this airline or that airline, we're not going to let you have this business model. That's essentially right. So if you think through an, uh, an airline like Southwest, for example, so Southwest has a very unusual you know, seating policy where they have completely open seating. And uh, one of the ways that they make a bit of extra money within that is that they can charge for early boarding services and a couple of other different means of boarding the plane earlier than other people, and you get the pick of the seats. Now, clearly, if you have a situation where you're mandating that all uh, parents with kids um, should be um, able to sit next to their children, the most simple way for Southwest to be able to do that is to board all of those families first. But if all of those families board first, the value of having a place in the queue nearer the front, because you're then pushed back a bit, is obviously diminishes. And so uh, the willingness and ability for people to pay for those early boarding services is probably going to be diminished. That reduces the profitability for Southwest. So they have to make up for that money in another way. You know, these businesses aren't charities. We often talk about these junk fees as they're just separate charges that are imposed on families. And if they didn't exist, then the business would just eat the losses. But that's not going to happen. In reality, what's going to happen is the marginal price on every other family, every other traveler is going to be elevated somewhat to pay for the cross-subsidy of this service. To the extent that the Biden administration wants to move ahead with this, it would seem to invite a rather large imposition of the state into the operations of various businesses and making what may be minute determinations among the aspects of business in which airlines compete with one another. In the 70s, when air travel was heavily regulated, regulators actually regulated the niceness of meals served on airplanes because they couldn't compete on price. They try to compete on some other dimension of travel. And so I I wonder what are the precise impositions that you might expect from uh, the Biden administration trying to move forward with this? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, a lot of the rules that they're trying to promulgate right now are actually quite broad, and it's not entirely clear until they're written up what's going to be included. 
I mean, uh, they are pushing forward and trying to get this mandate on to force airlines to make sure families are sat next to kids. They're going to impose more direct price controls, or at least they intend to, on excessive late credit card fees as they see them or overdraft fees. But in other respects, I, I think they just kind of want to mandate that businesses show the overall combined price likely if consumers kind of uh, take up the majority of options that you might expect consumers to take up. Now, there are downsides to this, as I've kind of alluded to. The first is, you know, those separate fees and charges quite often provide more transparency to consumers, right? You know that a certain part of the price uh, is because of that particular service or that particular amenity that you're, you're getting. If you jumble that all up and put it as a one overall price, in some ways you get uh, less transparency, and that means uh, less margins for other entrants to the market to compete through pricing innovation. The second downside, though, is that quite often these fees deter behaviors that are actually costly to businesses, right? So if there were no overdraft fees and more people were taking overdraft, that's inherently risky for the bank, and somebody has to kind of pay for that and insure against the the big downside consequences of that. So quite often banning these types of fees can lead to harmful cross-subsidies. But the main point that I would just emphasize again is that when businesses have degrees of freedom on how to set their structures and prices, as long as markets are to an extent competitive, um, those profitability opportunities actually lead to, in many respects, a broadening of access to the product. Because remember, it's not just... Uh, yes, some people will pay more. And, you know, business uh, travelers on flights tend to get soaked by airlines because of the, the the time that they book and the preferences and the and the desire for the premium seat. They're the lifeblood of airlines. Exactly. But the flip side of that is that that enables a degree of cross-subsidy to lower-income consumers who are then able to access services that they wouldn't otherwise be able to afford. If you were to have a scenario where you suggested there should be a blanket price and there was a higher price as a result of eliminating all of these other perceived junk fees, then it's pretty clear that a lot of lower income people would not just end up paying for services that they don't really need, but paying much more in the basic ticket price than they do now. Yeah, and this is moving in the wrong direction from my perspective as a man who occasionally travels with his wife and three children on airlines. I would look forward to an airline saying, we have flights that are no one under the age of 18. Because <laughs> you know what? Somebody's going to pay for that ticket because they don't want to hear uh, a crying kid on the plane. And the rest of us who have noise-canceling headphones will happily purchase the cheaper tickets on the family flights. Well, maybe that's what on within-market response that we'll see to this is um, people being willing to pay extra to be away from children on flights. But, you know, we shouldn't exaggerate the scale of this stuff. And I think quite often the Biden administration talks as if the, these fees and charges are kind of massive parts of people's budgets. That's highly misleading for a couple of reasons. I mean, one reason it's, it's misleading is just because these fees tend to be extremely small in comparison to the overall uh, price and revenues within the industry. You know, resort fees, you say 2.9 billion per year spent in resort fees. Okay, that sounds a lot until you realize it's just about 1% of total revenues that are paid in hotel charges. The other reason it's misleading, of course, is because of this effect that we talked about a lot in this interview, which is that if you were 
to eliminate those fees. It wouldn't be the case that hotels would just accept the losses or accept being less profitable than they are now. They're in a highly competitive industry. The reaction would be to increase the basic room rate. So kind of the net cost of these fees and charges, yes, there might be some benefits if they were eliminated in terms of not having to deal mentally with having to work out what they're for or you know work out how much you're going to be charged by adding them all up if it's not immediately clear and transparent. But the net overall savings to consumers of eliminating these fees to a first approximation is likely to be zero across the board on average because the main effect of eliminating these fees will be higher base prices. Why are they pushing so hard on this? Why are they making this like a centerpiece issue if it's such a small amount of money that we're talking about. I think the reason they're pushing hard on it is because they're under a lot of flack for high inflation. And because they're under a lot of flack for high inflation, they want to highlight what they perceive as instances where businesses are are raising prices in a cunning or, or kind of sneaky way. And to be clear, one consequence of a high inflation environment, especially in businesses where consumers tend to be highly responsive to price changes, is to find ways to adjust prices in ways that aren't immediately clear. You know, that's a downside of having a general inflationary environment, which is to do with monetary policy and the ability of the the economy to produce goods and services. And, you know, clamping down on how businesses could structure their prices and fees is no way of dealing with inflation. Ryan Bourne occupies the R. Evan Scharf Chair for the Public Understanding of Economics at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you please. And thank you for listening. 